This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hi, everyone. We've just reconnected, and I do apologize about that tech fault. It basically kicked me out when I was trying to play the news. Um, so we are just going to do the intro again while Warren is reconnecting um, and while the rest of you come back and join us on Teachers Talk Radio. I do apologise for what's just happened. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> I do apologise, Warren. Can you hear me? Are you back in the room? I'm, I'm back in the room, absolutely, and I can hear you. Apologies, everyone, once more. I have to say, I was just, I just kept going, and I was talking for quite a long period of time. And I do have to say, I think I was saying the most wise, profound, erudite sure things I've ever said in the whole of my career, which are now just sort of lost. Just and, love. And I, you know, I, I think that's a real shame, but there you go. I agree with you, Warren. Maybe there'll be some way we can recapture that. No, I'm afraid the magic is now, you know, it's now long it's gone. gone. But the good news is we have other magic about to happen, don't we? Because we I do. can see that our guests are here. Um, Lorraine has called in, which is fabulous. I think probably James is also um, about to call in. James has us. called in as well. Um, and we probably um, need to do a little bit of explaining as to what we think we were doing up until this <laughs> point, if that's okay. Should I do that before yes. we begin? <laughs> yes, you can. Okay, so, so if, you're, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you know, not live. Um, I'm not sure how much of this show you will hear. Um, hopefully you just start from now and we've got our guests and that's fabulous and we're really pleased by that. If you've been um, with us live previously, um, sorry about that, you know, tech issues, they do occasionally happen, but amazing that you've come back and we, we kind of really appreciate that. Um, so we've got live with us um, this afternoon two guests. Um, we have James and Lorraine, who are with us now in the call. Um, they both work for Sound School in Old Street in Islington in London. Um, James is the principal and Lorraine is head of English there. Um, I think what we'd like to do just to start off with is to just um, ask um, James and then Lorraine in turn just to say hello and introduce yourself and to tell you a little bit about, uh, about yourselves and your experience. Um, James, um, hello. Hello, testing, testing, one, two, three. <laughs> mic check, mic check. We um, can hear you. <laughs> hurrah, excellent. Well, that's good news. Hello, everyone. Um, yes, my name is James Panara, and currently I'm principal at Sound School. I've been uh, teaching for almost 30 years now, and I've taught in an absolute multitudinous uh, range of settings from uh, pretty exclusive prep schools in Mill Hill 
to the toughest pupil referral units you could possibly imagine via independent democratic schools, therapeutic special settings. Uh, so yeah, I've got a quite a range of experience, but it's very, very nice to be here this afternoon talking with you guys. It's very nice to have you as well, James. And James, we are conscious of the irony that there you are um, working in a kind of specialist music provision and here we are with our kind of sound technical issues. Happens um, <laughs> <so>, to the best. <laughs> but there you go. Um, so James, really nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Lorraine, how are you today? I'm okay. Also testing, testing. Um, <laughs> So I'm the head of English at Sound School where James is principal and just like James, I was trying to work this out, James is considerably younger than me so how come we've both been teaching 30 years, I'm not sure. But uh, I don't know, I started like, earlier. <laughs> I, well, uh, and I like James have worked all over London, always in London between Hackney, Labrook Grove, um, Enfield and Islington and Camden and I'm an English teacher but I've also specialised in behaviour, so like James, I've also worked in some pretty tough PRUs. Um, but also for about 10 years, for one of the London boroughs, I was their lead person to go and support um, newly qualified teachers, as they were then known, early, early career teachers, as they're now known, who'd started their career after passing their PGCE um, being recommended for QTS, and then were finding the situation much more difficult than they had first imagined. And so I think, I hope, I've got something to bring to the table today about what helps new teachers after five years still want to stay in the profession. No, absolutely. And, and thank you. And um, I, I, it's really nice that we have you, we have you both here as well, actually. Um, so we're here to talk about um, exactly that, Lorraine, um, you know, growth, development, how teachers kind of learn over time, what that means, I guess, for sort of organisational cultures and practices. Um, I know we're going to have quite a wide ranging conversation, but I wonder if you could just either of you tell us a little bit more about your existing setting just before we kind of begin to talk in more broad brushstrokes. Sure. Uh, so Sound School is a 16 to 19 provider. We specialise in music technology and music performance. We're quite a small provision. We have 40 students on roll currently and we work in partnership with um, a large FE partner, which is a United College Groups, which is the kind of academised versions of the College of Northeast West London. Uh, sorry. College of North London or Northwest London and City of Westminster. As with all things education, everything is joining together because economies of scale are so important. Uh, and we've been working out of a small um, kind of tech youth club that um, we have a relationship with uh, in Islington, exactly as you just said, uh, Warren. Um, and we're on Old Street. Uh, which is perfect for a perfect location for the college that we are because uh, a lot of what we do as well is about signposting young people into um, careers in the music industry. And as you can imagine, East London and that kind of area are very kind of tied in with um, that kind of industry. Does that give you enough? Absolutely. And I, am I right in saying that you also yourself have a background in music and DJing as well, don't it's you? It's true, Warren. It's true. Uh, in my <laughs> other life, I am a DJ. And uh, yeah, it's my other kind of passion. So this job is uh, a really good kind of uh, symbiosis of my skills. 
Um, yeah. I, I w worked with Sound School when I was principal of WAC Arts College, which was an alternative provision free school that opened in 2014 um, and that specialised in performing arts and creative media. And Sound School were kind of part of us for a while. Um, and then we kind of went our separate ways and then have come back together again um, under the United College Group's banner. So, yeah. No, thank you for that. And thank you both of you for that as well. Um, actually, I, I think I think it's quite interesting for our listeners to kind of contextualise, you know, you and, and where you work. Um, obviously, we're very conscious that the... The, the show has a, a listenership from early years, primary, secondary, also a kind of international um, listenership as well. And, and actually what you're offering in, I guess, that world where FE and secondary kind of meet, but in a sort of specialist and vocational way, I think could be quite unusual for some of the listeners who are, who are either kind of like here with us live or perhaps were with us live until everything went wrong. Um, um, or who might be listening, you know, to the actual podcast at another time. Um, so let's start by having a conversation about new teachers or, or new new staff. They might themselves be experienced teachers, not necessarily ECTs. And what do we think makes them stay, and what do we think makes them leave? Uh I was thinking to myself, when I, I wasn't clear, when I worked for the borough previously supporting NQTs, I was working between about 11 or 12 different schools. And I've since worked for a couple of universities, which gave me the opportunity to work out for myself when I was working with training teachers, that over the 30 years, I've probably worked, been in and out of working, probably about 25 schools, and probably either delivered myself or observed about 20,000 lessons. And wow. I think, yeah, I didn't realise that until I worked out. <laughs> and I think the number one thing that would impact a teacher wanting to stay is the relationships, um, both relationships with young people, with our students in school and with our staff group. And that many teachers I have met have at times struggled. And I would say the number one thing that has helped them to stay and get through, despite sometimes very difficult circumstances, is feeling that they are appreciated and that they've got something to bring. And that as I'm solution-focused trained, I'd say we all tend to like what we're good at and we all tend to be good at what we like. And that's true for our pupils and it's true for us. We all want to feel recognised. We all want to feel we've got something to bring. And school environments that encourage teachers to feel they have some ownership about what is happening in the school and that the school are listening. And in particular, I know you mentioned earlier, because I was listening in earlier, about workload. And Anika said that um, even though there have been measures to reduce workload compared to 30 years ago, I would say it's probably gone up at least five times. Yeah. And, Thank you for that, Lorraine. I yeah, agree with you. I think it's gone up about five times. And I have heard, just for example, I don't know who he is or where he is, but there's a primary school head teacher somewhere in London <laughs> who, has, who has banned email apart from one afternoon a week. Oh, goodness. I, I think I was <laughs> similar to Warren last week. And I was saying, the num when I first started off teaching, it was a post-it note that I used to get on yeah, my desk. And that note. was it. And the <laughs> or emails, let's have a meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I think what happens with emails is people think, 
they, they'll put in an email what if they'd left it a few hours or a day, wouldn't they, it would have gone off the radar altogether. Yeah. And yeah. just saving that agenda up for a weekly meeting. And I think working with a lot of um, NQTs or early career teachers, sometimes it's about not understanding the schemes of work or the lessons they're being given to deliver and wanting to, and they can't deliver it properly because they don't understand it themselves. Um, having the support from expert colleagues to make lessons that they feel confident with and that children then succeed at. And yeah. just this week, one of my trainee teachers, because I also work for a university, came to me with the most marvellous goodbye card because he'd just finished his placement that the children had made for him. And they've made the most beautiful artistic collage of Jekyll and Hyde and A Christmas Carol. Oh, wow. And written throughout this about that he's only been teaching them for two months about how much they've really appreciated him, how much they've learned. They don't want him to leave, wishing him well. Is that teacher going to leave? He's not. Yeah. And it's and he's getting so much positive feedback. And do you know, Lorraine, it was just recently we were talking about this just um, at the university where I am. And we were talking about how we get a lot of this feedback from students within schools. And then you, when you move into other institutions, you don't necessarily get the same type of feedback anymore. And what I used to like about schools was the fact that children are very honest with you. They'll tell you when it's going well. They, they will. Exactly. <laughs> and I think across institutions, we need to recognize that where you do need to get that feedback from your students but also from your line managers and senior uh, management teams if they do say oh you know well done for whatever else it makes such a huge difference to staff feeling as though they've been seen but that also that their work is being appreciated because I think having worked in different institutions in some that part kind of gets lost or forgotten and isn't celebrated as wholly as it should be uh, yes and I think with the race the race and pace of a busy secondary school on any given day in London, I think typically, and this is true in all professions, I'm sure, we'll all yeah. notice that one thing that's gone wrong. But actually, yeah, if we turn true. our sights into everything that's going well, including our classes, you know, I've seen teachers sat at a computer getting on with something because the children are sat quietly doing their work. So the message for the children is, miss or sir will notice me if I start being silly. Yeah. And it's the same for staff. Oh, thanks, thanks Lorraine, for that. did something wrong. Sorry, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say thanks for that because, I mean, listening to you talk, um, I, I like that idea that, you know, on the one hand, as a profession, we absolutely know, don't we, that children learn and they, they kind of flourish, young people flourish if they are given attention, if they, are, if they have meaningful relationships, if they are valued but actually applying that to ourselves and our own relationships, um, not just with each other, but with children, you know, back, that kind of symbiotic nature of that relationship. Um, that's really productive, isn't it? It's really important yes, to us as is. professionals. Could we hear from James? James, as, as the principal, um, or in general from your other experience, <clears throat> what, what do you think makes teachers stay or go? Um, I'd largely agree with pretty much everything that uh, Lorraine and um, the other hosts have just been saying. I think that you can't underestimate the um, power of people feeling an agency within their uh, working environment. Um, in the setting that I was working at previous to Sound School, which is a democratic school, that was really at the centre of everything that we were doing. Um, and it was 
um, notable how that impacted on staff well-being in a really positive way. So that not only teachers that were at the beginning of their careers, but also teachers who'd maybe taught in other settings, but had found their agency thwarted or they were kind of ignored or there was just one way of doing things and there was no kind of flexibility. So I think uh, empowering people to be professionals, even at the beginning of their career, and to give them that feedback and to build those relationships, exactly as we've just been saying, those for, to me are the uh, cornerstones of any kind of staff relationship, be that a new member of staff or an, exi- an old and existing one. Thank you. Um, the, the idea of a democratic school is interesting, isn't it? Because there, there, there is actually a long history of, of kind of radical schooling, um, democratic schooling in England. And, and actually where, we, where I am in East London, there are quite a few examples from the sort of the 20s, the 30s, the 50s of, of genuinely kind of radical and democratic attempts to do that in the workplace. Um, that idea of agency... What, what does that look like in a modern school where the kind of the pace and the, the rate and the policies and the hecticness might feel quite different, perhaps? How does, how does agency come about? I think it was, well, the, uh, the new school, which is the school that I was co-head teacher at, um, is run under um, a process of sociocracy. And the, um, it's got a whole kind of methodology of uh, how to run meetings, uh, how to make sure that every voice is heard in a meeting. In fact, meetings aren't called meetings, they're called circles. Uh, And that decisions are made not by consensus, but by everybody has to agree. And you have to discuss uh, situations and potential solutions uh, in a way that brings everybody in, that you hear everybody's voice. And so everybody gets to feel that they do have a genuine agency in that decision and whatever the wider aspect of the school life that you're discussing is that can be very time consuming um and particularly when we were setting up the school because i joined uh well just towards the middle of its first year of operation um and i think they'd had and are still kind of wrestling with some of the difficulties of a sociocratic system. But I think the difficulties were massively outweighed by all the benefits because you had a group of staff who felt genuinely empowered, that they weren't just being dictated to by leadership and by management, and that they they had a voice and a say. And so while some things could have possibly been done uh, more quickly, um, and I certainly struggled with uh, kind of being a senior leader in that setting and not just being able to go, okay, great, I've heard everyone that we're doing this, um, which is possibly what I would have done in another setting. Uh, actually having to build those relationships, understand people's points of views, listen to whatever uh, was being said to you was actually a really powerful experience and one that I was, um, would be keen to uh, replicate in other settings. Um, so I guess it wouldn't be for every setting, but for the new school and for what they were trying to do, it worked amazingly. I felt like I waffled a little there, Warren. But did you get a bit of an answer? No, no, no. That's really no, no. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but my 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 father-in-law um, was a radical head teacher um, in in the back, in the early eighties, and he he ran a school which was a, a very early comprehensive school, right? Um, 
and at the same time had this almost like Quaker tradition. And, and the school had this sort of Quaker tradition built into some of its structures around assembly. And what made the, the school really stand out, there was a BBC early, I guess, like sort of reality TV show about it before we, we called such programmes reality TV. Mm. Um, and what made the school stand out was this assembly structure where staff and children sat together um, in a very kind of communal way, um, people could elect to sort of stand up and come to the front and speak and give messages. Uh, and, and that idea about sort of playing with that democratic tradition uh, and thinking about what that means for voice and agency, you know, that's, I mean, that's powerful, but you're right, that takes time, doesn't it? It that, really that's does. A I mean, huge thing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the assemblies because we used to have assemblies and they, well, they still do have assemblies at the new school, although uh, they call them time to connect. And certainly in our first year when we only had um, about 40 or 50 students in total, it's going to be an all through school, but it started with reception. Um, uh, it's up to year seven now, but in our first year, it was only up to year six. So you've got quite a range of students there and a range of ages and a huge range of experiences as well. Some of them had been um, homeschooled before and had never been to school. But what struck me from the moment I walked in there, and I, I started working there just towards the end of the, of the autumn term in the back end of 2020, um, was how confident the young people were and how, and, and you know, you're talking about little ones, they're primary school children, uh, but their levels of oracy were incredible. And just in the, even in that small amount of time, in only a term, because they'd been given this agency and because that time to connect rather than, all sitting in rows, looking up at the teachers. We all sat in a big circle and everybody's voice was as equally as important. The, the kind of uh, self-confidence that that gave them was palpable and, and, and really impressive in such a short, short amount of time. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for democratic education, though unwieldy it can sometimes be from a management point of view. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, do either of you, I mean, maybe Lorraine, we could start with you. Do either of you have any um, case studies or, or examples or stories that you could um, tell? Obviously, we would be, you know, kind of sort of careful not to name individuals, but stories about sort of individual teachers or groups of teachers, their growth, their development, how, how they have been able to grow within the structures that we have. I think, first of all, I wanted to pick up on something James just said, which is about um, sometimes the kind of methodologies James were talking, was talking about could appear to be more time-consuming. But I would say that the amount of time it saves in having to deal with lots of problems that have come up because we're all moving too fastly, too fast, sorry, um, and, and having no agency, it probably works out efficient in the end because it's those relationship building activities that mean that the staff are happier and the children are more likely to do well and as James said become very confident do well and behave better so I think it's a it would be inaccurate to say that it's a waste of time I don't think it is a waste of time from everything I've ever seen over the years building those relationships with staff and young people it is only ever a win no, Absolutely. Indeed. I didn't say it was a waste of time, just time consuming. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it, it is time consuming, but I could see, hear people saying, well, we haven't got the time for that. No, but if you don't have the time for that, you're building problems for later. No, you're right. It's you're a right, very right. modern and you're preoccupation. Problems for later. Sorry, Warren. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 It's fun. I was going to say it's, it's a very modern, though, isn't it? Preoccupation to use the language of business. Yes. Um, performativity, productivity, mm. efficiency to actually then apply to something which is about relationships, deep learning, growth, maturation. Yeah. You know that 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 those metaphors, that language, possibly itself isn't the right language anyway is it yet we use it in the system we use it in the education sector all the time actually yes um don't get me started on that warren we'll need a whole (laughs) podcast for that come back (laughs) oh i'll happily come back and talk about managerialism (laughs) in education anika do you want to say that yeah i was just going to add into what lorraine and james have said and when we talk about at the start of the training years, we kind of say, what is the purpose of education and what is the purpose of schooling? And actually, these ideologies build on what the purpose is. And if you are trying to create good citizens in the community, these are the skills that they need to be good citizens within the community. It's not necessarily all always about kind of just sit down quietly and you'll be told what to do and when to speak and whatever else. So it sounds very, very interesting. And I want to add to that, Anika, sorry, Um, I was reading the other day. Oh, sorry, Warren, go on. No, 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 I was just going to say, we'd like to carry on, but you are carrying on, so please carry on. (laughs) No, I was reading something about, I think it was from the English and Media Centre the other day, about what do we provide for our young people studying English, the young people who will never, ever get a level four. What is their experience of doing English at school? And I think that... It's what Warren is saying about what is the purpose of education then? Is it that if you don't pass the exam, then you've just wasted years of your life doing English lessons? Or did you get something out of English lessons anyway about reading, about writing, about expressing yourself, as James just said, about oracy? And I think with that business model, it's really important to think about a considerable number of young people who won't ever make that fall. And what did they make from it anyway? Further to that, Lorraine, Warren and I were actually having a talk um, a couple of days ago because in a future show we'll be talking about inspirational teachers and we'll be talking to people who kind of say we may not necessarily have got certain grades or passed our exams but actually the environment we were in the teachers that nurtured us are the reason why we are successful or where we've got today um, so that's another interesting take as well that a lot of people do think back and think this person made a big difference to my life yeah. um, and it's not wasted time especially because you're um, in contact with so many different people who are all meant to be these positive role models to the children absolutely so do we have other examples then? an example um, I've, got, yeah. I've got a little case study I can talk about um, from my MPQH days, uh, which oh was, please do yeah. So as part of uh, that, that that qualification, as I'm sure lots of listeners know, you kind of have to do a sort of uh, piece of work in a sec- in a school. And in my set in my case, that was a sec- big secondary school in Ealing. Um, and my kind of project was to um, take a group of um, early career teachers i didn't know that new acronym we love an acronym in teaching don't we? <laughs> ects i've learned a new one uh, <laughs> to, to take a group of ects and to uh work with them and I, at the time i was head of curriculum um and actually then went on to be head teacher at the pupil parent partnership which was a therapeutic independent school uh based in west london and we used to take kids that got excluded from crews so uh but we did a kind of quite unique therapeutic uh, work with them, culminating in a big 
uh, residential where we took them away to Cornwall. And anyway, um, I was in this, uh, so I, I went into this school and basically started running uh, what effectively like group supervision sessions for these um, young teachers. Uh, and the focus of which was just to try and give them a space every week or two um, to kind of unpack some of the things that had been going on for them, be that a difficult relationship with a young person or a tricky colleague or uh, some pressure from their university or whatever it might be. And just to give simply give them a, a space to talk that through with their colleagues and with myself. And again, not to necessarily try and solve all those problems, but just to kind of unpack some of it and to acknowledge some of those difficulties. And just again, as we were saying right at the beginning of the conversation, just so that they could be heard. Um, and it was really successful. And I believe that they then rolled that out to the wider staff team as well. So I think that would be kind of, again, a good uh, example of something that, school leaders could put in place for relatively little cost and apart from the time that it would uh, you'd need to give to it uh, and it definitely had a really profound effect on them and and i uh, you know they said at the time and subsequently in feedback that they felt that it was a really valuable uh, thing for them to have done and um yeah so there's a little case study of maybe how mm -hmm. to support uh, newly qualified teachers and or uh, kind of old timers as well. I think it, it's just finding that space and time. Um, yeah, and, and having the conversation, isn't it? Having, yeah. uh, having the dialogue or having the space for that dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm very conscious of the time, both of you, and I know that you're both dialing in from the school, aren't you? Yeah. And, and I think I'm right in saying that we've only got you for one or two more minutes left. So I wonder if you have any final sort of pithy concluding thoughts. I do. It's not really a pithy concluding thought, Warren, but I do have a tiny um, example I can give you. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. If that's all right. Yeah. Which is yeah. Um, a young teacher I worked with in a quite well-known difficult school. Uh, she told me she absolutely hated it. And she particularly hated her year 11 class, so much so that she always wore black when she was teaching them. <laughs> and, she, and she dreaded that day. So we, we thought together, and I put together all the solution focus, that, shout out brief in East London for solution focus, fantastic. And we thought about if we could wave a magic wand over this class, what would they be like? And she could give me all the detail of how wonderful this class would be. And they would look forward to seeing her. They'd smile. They'd do the work. They'd be keen. They'd be engaged. And they'd leave that lesson saying goodbye, Miss, whereas usually nobody spoke to her. Then we spoke about what would she be like if the children were like or the young people were like that. And she said she'd plan interesting lessons. She'd wear bright colours. She'd smile. She'd say, well done. She'd be looking forward to showing off to them and about them, about their work. And we made a pact that together we'd do one lesson where she was teaching and I was supporting her and we were going to act as if those young people were everything she wanted them to be. And within the first sort of 15 minutes, kids were saying, Miss, are you all right? Because she was relentlessly smiling and being relentlessly positive. And we'd put a lot of work into planning a really fun lesson. And it was honestly like, if by some weird coincidence she's listening, she'll, she'll recognise exactly what happened that day. It was literally as if, as she said, I really had gone around the class with a magic wand. 
and it would have made a fabulous channel for a documentary because halfway through that lesson kids were putting their hand up wanting her to come and look at their work and by the end of that lesson kids were walking out saying goodbye Mrs. and by Easter when they found out they weren't going to have her anymore they went up to her crying but they couldn't bear to lose her back and I think that's the same for staff for teachers for children for everybody right that's <laughs> that's a whole show in fact that's more than that isn't it? that's a whole career worth of shows in that one example alone to unpack that that's that's a really special example actually yeah, she, and, she couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it that. it was amazing thank you no no that, that's lovely actually thank you um, James any um, concluding thoughts concluding pithy for, uh, mm. thoughts for you um, I guess it would be probably something I'd say to new parents as well uh, and that's about that kind of idea of being the good enough parent and not trying to be everything to everybody. And I think that we struggle with that as teachers. And I think particularly um, teachers that are just beginning their career are super keen, want to do the very best. And so sometimes put them themselves under incredible pressure. And I'm not for a minute advocating, you know, just putting your feet up and taking it easy. <laughs> but, but there is a thing about kind of having a, a sense of what you can and you can't do. And I guess that comes back to the kind of workload conversation, but also to just, you know, to, you, you are good. Enough. And um, if you are concentrating on building and developing those relationships with the young people that you teach, um, that is going to serve you in very good stead. And it takes time. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, and actually, as, a, yeah, I mean, as teacher educators, we are, I think, I think we really value that as a sentiment, actually. Um, the idea of giving your all too much yeah, like doesn't help sometimes. <clears throat> Thank you so much, um, Lorraine and James, for that. Um, it was lovely to have you on this show. I'm very conscious of the fact that we've just gone over five o'clock and you guys were available until five o'clock. So I would like to go into... Um, a short ad break and news and two minute tech and we'll be right back. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, 
uplearn.co.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, the Scottish Liberal Democrats have lodged 25 questions to the Scottish Government about plans to tackle ventilation in schools. One question asks about the health and safety impacts of the plans to chop the bottom of classroom doors off. Willie Rennie, the Liberal Democrat education spokesperson said, this has been a torrid week for the Scottish Government. Its plans to improve ventilation in schools have been exposed as totally lacking in scale and detail. It is now two years since the virus arrived in Scotland. The lack of action on the part of the Scottish Government to drive ventilation improvements nationwide is leaving pupils and teachers shivering. The Scottish Government said it had provided councils with £10 million for ventilation and carbon dioxide monitoring, as well as the £5 million recently added. In England, teachers have warned that the release of advanced information on exam subjects for GCSEs and A-levels to mitigate the impact of the pandemic comes too late and may not be enough. Exam boards have said previously that they would release the advanced information now rather than earlier in the academic year so that pupils did not cover a narrow curriculum. Mary Bowsted, National Education Union Joint General Secretary said, there are grave concerns among teachers of exam groups that this will not be enough to fairly mitigate the disruption these students have experienced over two academic years. There is just one half term left until Easter, close to when exams begin, and little time to rush through any content. Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi said, that exams are the best and fairest form of assessment 
and that the information published will make sure students can do themselves justice. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safe Internet Week with the official day being on Tuesday the 8th of February. This year, the UK Safer Internet Centre is questioning whether gaming online is all fun and games. They ask young people to explore respect and relationships in online gaming. A lot of schools may be having drop down days and you may be expected to deliver an online safety lesson. This is great, but are you confident in your knowledge? There's nothing worse than having to teach a lesson out of your comfort zone, especially when you're discussing a topic where the learners may know more than the teacher. Saferinternet.org.uk, the brains behind Safer Internet Day, have come to the rescue with a series of films under the heading of virtual assemblies on their website. Starting with a story about in-app purchases getting out of hand for three to seven year olds, and then for seven to 11 and 11 to 18s, having a discussion on online behavior and respect. This resource is informative and will allow those of us that are less confident to play the film and facilitate a discussion. As always, if you're going to use an online resource, make sure you've watched it first to make sure it's appropriate for your pupils. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back, everyone. Um, I hope you're still with us. I just want to say a genuine thank you to James and Lorraine for coming on the show today. It's, I, I'm so glad that although we had some tech issues, it didn't in fact stop them from being able to be here and, and having that conversation with us because, you, you know, I found that deeply, deeply fascinating, actually. And, and in fact, you know, half an hour doesn't really do justice, does it, to the, the richness, the, the interestingness of the, some of the ideas that they were explaining to us, but also of their um, experience as well, which they kind of bring to um, both this show, but also to their kind of careers and their current positions. Um, it's quite sobering, isn't it? Because what that does is it gives us a a very different model to think about, a model of schooling, a model of school relationships, a model of kind of power and agency and change and collegiality, a, a model of relationships with, with learners, with pupils, that, that, that possibly, you know, could change some things for some people in, in some cotton, in some kind of context, in some settings. Um, what really stands out to me is is that idea about about agency, really, yeah. and the need yeah. for that. That's actually the point that I was kind of taking notes when James was talking about that, and it got me thinking about how if we do look at if we do compare different educational institutions, how maybe students within universities have a bit more agency and can use the voice a bit more and get to have kind of a. Cal- some universities are doing this, but kind of have co-collaboration with various elements of the curriculum. I know that there's this kind of um, 
this the people are kind of starting to talk about the fact that actually we need more voices when developing curriculum um i currently teach on the apprenticeships uh, academic professional apprenticeship which is for it started off for nurse educators but it's now for anyone who's a clinical educator who wants a teaching qualification and actually the discussions that we're currently having is that it shouldn't be a curriculum that's designed by me according to apprenticeship kind of um, regulations and what we need for that, but actually should be an open discussion between us, the students that we have or the apprentices that we have, and also the NHS employers, line managers, and the people who are kind of organising the apprenticeships. So we do start looking at this more kind of collaboratively, and it's about giving all those voices the chance to come in and be involved in the create the creative side of this as well, but also with what's needed in the content. Um, because I do feel that this is where we are all heading actually, is to try and give equality. If we want, if we really do want true equality and we do want to make our curriculums accessible to all, then we need to have all those voices within each element of this. If we're talking about, I think we talked a bit about decolonizing the curriculum last um, week as well. We maybe have touched upon it, but that's how you truly will go about starting to decolonize is actually give everyone a chance to say something about it. And when James was talking about this it got me thinking about things like when he said they had this the um kind of the students and teachers in a circle and kind of saying all right what are your thoughts about this and how do you go forward from this and share your opinions i i started to think about the cultural differences and what impact that would have so i know culturally we grew up i'm south asian we grew up being told that you listen to your teachers you respect what they say and they're not wrong and that's how we went into the schooling system. They're in place of your parents, essentially. And that also means that the parenting styles also, you listen to the adults in the family, they're not wrong and you respect that. And that's. And I wonder how much of an impact that type of an upbringing has on things like confidence, because James said that this empowered students, it gave them the confidence. And for those people where maybe culturally they might not necessarily gain confidence within um, their kind of own circles, that this helps develop that characteristic because we did talk about that last um, week where we said when I came into teaching it really was the start of building up that confidence to be able to speak out in a public space in front of um, you know classrooms in front of bigger lecture theatres and <clears throat> that skill was developed just because I was trained as a teacher so it's interesting to see whether how those kind of cultural differences would impact this type of um, uh, these type of things that are coming into schools. I think um, I think it comes down to if you if you want inclusion, you need to include, and yeah. that means you need to not just give voice, but also listen to the voices that you that you get back or that you share collaboratively yeah. together. Um, I mean, again, you know, last week we talked about time. And it's it's kind of its relationship to the world of teaching and the world of, of kind of schools and schooling, um, and it kind of comes back again, doesn't it? That idea about t- saving the time, keeping the time, protecting yeah. the time, valuing the time for those conversations that that are effectively about agency to happen. 
the idea that there isn't a there isn't a fast route, there isn't a quick route, there isn't a speedy route, there isn't maybe even a straightforward or linear route around which relationships can be built. But, you know, democraticness, asking everyone to make decisions, having the pupil or the learner voice, enabling young teachers and new entrants to, to speak and to reflect and to engage with kind of feelings and yeah. as much as they engage with kind of thoughts about practices, you know, those things being, again, I'm going to use the language of neoliberalism, but those things being very productive. I wish yeah. I had a different word for the word productive, but but you know, you know what I mean. And um, I remember way back when I started off and I had a very challenging class at the time and I, I was just kind of at my wits end because I couldn't figure out how I could kind of engage with them. And through discussions with various people about what their backgrounds are and who these children actually were, I stopped seeing them as year eight or year nine and I started seeing them as individuals. And that's, I remember at the time thinking, you know what, spend taking out two minutes and having a chat to these children or these young people will have a far greater impact in the positive than kind of grouping them together and just kind of treating them as a whole class and disciplining them as a whole class or rewarding them as a whole class. And then I built into my system where once every half term definitely once a term if it was possible once every half term i would literally say right this is what you're getting on with so various projects and stuff they were getting on with and i'd stand outside of the classroom and literally i'd give everyone one-on-one -on -one time they'd come out for 10 seconds 15 seconds 30 seconds it was simply how are you getting on is there anything i should know about you don't look so well today or has something upset you and honestly i got more out of those 10, 15, 20 second chats outside of the classroom and was able to kind of connect with children or young people who had disconnected from their learning with other people within the school just because they got that person. And it's not a lot of time. And as much, we encourage our trainees, right, you know what, you need to build those positive relationships. But we all know with the timetables that you get and with some classrooms which are bigger than 30 students and you've got 33, 30, it's so difficult to spend good quality one in one time. And for me, it was right. What is this? A couple of less. If you add it all up, it's maybe an hour or two hours in the whole year. And actually, that hour or two hours is far more useful and helps you build those connections and helps those people who do get disengaged to kind of make kind of feel that, you know what, this person does care about me outside of just, have you done your maths homework? Because essentially that's what they see. That's the only thing they're going to get disciplined for is, have you done your work? Or why are you not listening to me? Or why are you not behaving in a certain way? Well, yeah, okay. So, I mean, that's really interesting because the history of behaviour for learning is itself on the shoulders or was standing on the shoulders of what went before it what we ended up referring to as assessment for learning. Yeah. And that idea about, you know, motivation, behaviour, desired behaviour, choice, communication, relationship, having a really complex relationship together. But, but actually the relationship's not complex, is it? Talk yeah. to people, value them. Value them, um, exactly. Care for them. Um, have them see that you care for them, take time for them 
and the time that you spend with them or over them, uh, and that has a direct effect, you know, yeah. funnily enough, on, on behaviour and on relationships, because of course it does, doesn't it? And that's true for learners. Actually, it's, it's true for colleagues and staff yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. We've been um, doing some work on trauma-informed practice, and I know that's quite common now in schools, but we're trying to promote that also within higher education. And actually, if you look at the root of what that is, that is it's kind of building positive relationships with your students so that they feel like they are in a safe place and they are being listened to and they are being heard. And when you kind of delve deeper into that, it's actually just looking at good pastoral support. Um, and without good pastoral support, you're taking away the humanness from this. And actually, good pastoral support isn't just about kind of being a form tutor. It's in every aspect of what we do. So anytime we connect with anyone and that we say, you know, are you OK? <laughs> is everything going fine? Do you need any extra help or support? That is your pastoral support. And that makes a huge difference to people. Uh, and that's young people or even within other institutions where they come up to you and they trust you and they think this person truly cares because they asked how we were. And I know it is a bit of British culture where we see each other, we say, hi, Warren, how are you? But we don't actually mean it um, unless you're kind of really good friends with someone. But maybe that's something that also needs to be changed, where we're not just kind of saying it for the sake of a greeting. We say, hey, how are you? Yep, I'm fine. And you move on. And maybe we do need to kind of look at this a bit more as well and say, right, what are we actually saying to people? And if we are saying the same to young people, have we opened up a conversation but then shut them down straight away as well by not kind of waiting for that response and saying, right, come on, <laughs> come into the room and just get on with the work? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of, um, I mean, there, there are lots and lots of examples of um, really interesting practices, which I, I guess we would probably label as learner voice or pupil yeah. voice. You know, lots of examples of, of projects, of interventions, of, of sort of policies that schools have engaging pupils in thinking about curriculums or engaging pupils in say i don't know um inspection or lesson observation or or interviewing new entrants you know new staff entrants to, to new schools and, and those things are really valuable but actually what lorraine and james and, and, and now and now you are talking about um is something that's not so much about a project or an intervention, but something that's so deeply ingrained into the kind of culture and the lifeblood of the organisation that caring for and caring about each other actually becomes normalised within within the kind of very yeah. fabric of, of relationships. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's you're right. It's humane, isn't it? It's yeah. about being and humane. It's and it, it shouldn't just be within the educational field it should just be across all fields because maybe this is how we kind of conquer the fact that the stress levels workload all of these issues that go around if we do care about each other genuinely care about each other we will make sure that the systems that are in place don't um, discriminate against anyone in any form or in any manner and actually they help support and grow there was another interesting thing where I kind of have another note here where I think it was James again talking about this, how um, with leadership as well, where everyone gets to say their piece about any changes or anything that's coming about. And until that's resolved and everyone kind of agrees or there's consensus, we don't move forward. My only question there was, what do you do when you have conflicting opinions about something? 
Did does one party with the louder voice or the stronger voice override? And I'm not saying that has to come from leadership. It could be just within a team of people on an equal kind of level. Do the stronger voices, as you may well have seen within classrooms, do they overtake the those who may not necessarily um, shine in an environment where you've got everyone in front of each other kind of just talking through things? I didn't catch that. Could you try? And that was my watch saying it didn't catch that. <laughs> I'm sure everyone online did. Um, but that's the type of thing that I kind of think about, right? How would you resolve that conflict? What goes on into where you've got a start, right? I think it should be this way or I think it should be this way. Who who comes on top there? And do we still need some form of people in charge kind of looking at a situation and say, right, look, these are the pros and cons of each one and this is the decision we've made and these are the reasons for it. Like, do you still need someone up top saying this is the direction we need to go in? Because essentially leadership I think is a combination of varying styles as opposed to just one style against another style. And leadership has evolved that way as well over the years. Yeah, it does it does potentially redefine, doesn't it, what we might think leadership is yeah. and what leadership might 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 look like. Um but it also potentially challenges um top down cultures yeah. and also, you know, some of those well, some of those very aspects and qualities of some schools which might lead to disengagement not by pupils but also by, you know... Kind staff of, as well. Staff as well, yeah. Um, um, I, I kind of think, let's just have them back every episode, quite frankly, because <laughs> I, I think they could probably... sharing Just <laughs> really tell us some really interesting, um, really interesting things. Um, I, I want to say again then, just formally between ourselves, but, you know, thank you to Lorraine and James for their time today. Um, I think, you know, I think they really offer us some interesting insights, some interesting examples, a whole range of different kind of issues really come out from those yeah. examples. Um, but but also, actually, um, really value them both offering their time to talk through some of those things to us. Yeah. Um, I'm just so glad that, that the tech didn't didn't stop them from their, <laughs> their contributions. Yes, exactly. And thank you both once again from me as well for coming onto the show and actually making it what it was because so many interesting things came out of it. You're right, Warren. And actually gave us a lot, I think we could say a lot more. If it wasn't 5.27pm already, we could probably sit here and talk for another hour or two just about those um, things that they've discussed yeah, we are absolutely. coming to the end of the show this week um, we will be back as co-hosts officially <laughs> um, from next Tuesday at what do we have in store next week <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we, we will start a series I think we should call it a series where we will look at inspirational teachers and how that's influenced people in various walks of life um, and we'll try and get a wider variety and pool of people here as well. So not just teachers, but people who've gone into other professions but have been inspired by teachers as well. And hopefully we'll have a guest in next week talking through their journey as a student and now um, as a postgrad as well. But watch this space and kind of keep an eye on our Twitter feeds because we will share more details closer to time. Um, Warren, is there anything else that you'd like to add or are there any other comments or texts from people listening in? Um, I think that... Um... 
I, well, I mean, I, I partly just just thinking out loud on a purely personal point of view. I think I'm going to contact James and Lorraine and ask if I could actually have a look at the school, but um, <laughs> just out of interest, really. Um, I, I just I, I just really value colleagues and professionals, you know, coming and sharing their stories, sharing their experience and their expertise, but also, you know, really offering us something which in a very gentle and polite and, and interesting way kind of challenges, doesn't it? Notions yeah. of, of sort yeah. of school and schooling. Uh, and that for me was, is actually really exciting and really interesting. Well, maybe there's an idea here. We're well, seeing if um, those of you listening in didn't know this, but Teachers Talk Radio is also now Teachers Talk TV. So maybe what we do is we do live footage of us going into their school to see exactly what goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> Let's, um, yeah, let's not get out. Let's not get um, <laughs> above ourselves. <laughs> but um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And also for those of you who will be in the future downloading this podcast and listen to it not in real time. We shall see you again at the same time next week, 4pm for The Drive Home with me, Anika Khalik, and... And me, Warren Kidd. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.